Section 3 of Ingersoll on the Great Infidels from the Works of Robert G. Ingersoll, Volume 3, Lectures. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Section 3 The Appeal to the Cemetery. Whoever attacks a custom or a creed will be confronted with a list of the names of the dead who upheld the custom or believe the creed. He is asked in a very triumphant and sneering way if he knows more than all the great and honored of the past. Every defender of a creed has graven upon his memory the names of all great men, whose actions or words can be tortured into evidence for his doctrine. The Church is always anxious to have some king or president certify to the moral character of Christ, the authority of the Scriptures, and the justice of the Jewish God. Of late years, confessions of gentlemen about to be hanged have been considered of great value, and the scaffold is regarded as a means of grace. All the churches of our day seek the rich. They are no longer the friends and defenders of the poor. Poverty no longer feels at home in the house of God. In the temple of the Most High, garments out of fashion are considered out of place, People now, before confessing to God what worthless souls they have, enrich their bodies. Now words of penitence mingle with the rustle of silk, and light thrown from diamonds adorns the repentant tear. We are told that the rich, the fortunate, the holders of place and office, the fashionable, the respectable, are all within the churches. And yet all these people grow eloquent over the poverty of Christ, boast that he was born in a manger, that the Holy Ghost passed by all the ladies of titled wealth and fashion, and selected the wife of a poor and unknown mechanic for the mother of God. They admit that all the men of Jerusalem who held high positions, all the people of wealth, influence, and power, were the enemies of the Saviour, and held his pretensions in contempt. They admit that he had influence only with the poor, and that he was so utterly unknown, so indigent in acquaintance, that it was necessary to bribe one of his disciples to point him out to the police. They assert that he had done a great number of miracles, had cured the sick, and raised the dead, that he had preached to vast multitudes, had made a kind of triumphal entry into Jerusalem, had scourged from the temple the changers of money, had disputed with the doctors, and yet, notwithstanding all these things, he remained in the very depths of obscurity. Surely he and his disciples could have been met with the argument that the great dead were opposed to the new religion. The apostles, it is claimed, preached the doctrines of Christ in Rome and Athens, and the people of those cities could have used the arguments against Christianity that Christians now use in its support. They could have asked the apostles if they were wiser than all the philosophers, poets, orators, and statesmen dead, 
if they knew more coming as they did from a weak and barbarous nation than the greatest men produced by the highest civilization of the known world with what scorn would the greeks listen to a barbarian's criticisms upon socrates and plato how a roman would laugh to hear a vagrant hebrew attack a mythology that had been believed by cato and virgil every new religion has to overcome this argument of the cemetery this logic of the grave old ideas take shelter behind a barricade of corpses and tombstones they have epitaphs for battle cries and malign the living in the name of the dead the moment however that a new religion succeeds it becomes the old religion and uses the same argument against a new idea that it once so gallantly refuted the arguments used to-day against what they are pleased to call infidelity would have shut the mouth of every religious reformer from christ to the founder of the last sect the general objection to the new is that it differs somewhat from the old and the fact that it does differ is urged as an argument against its truth every man is forced to admit that he does not agree with all the great men living or dead the average catholic if not a priest as a rule will admit that sir isaac newton was in some things his superior that demosthenes had the advantage of him in expressing his ideas in public and that as a sculptor he is far below the unknown man of whose hand and brain was born the venus de milo but he will not on account of these admissions change his views upon the important question of transubstantiation most protestants will cheerfully admit that they are inferior in brain and genius to some men who have lived and died in the catholic church that in the matter of preaching funeral sermons they do not pretend to equal bossuet that their letters are not so interesting and polished as those of pascal that torquemada excelled them in the genius of organization and that for planning a massacre they would not for a moment dispute the palm with catherine de medici and yet after all these admissions they would insist that the pope is an unblushing impostor and that the catholic church is a vampire fattened by the best blood of a thousand years the truth is that in favor of almost every sect the names of some great men can be pronounced in almost every church there have been men whose only weakness was their religion and who in other directions achieve distinction if you call men great because they were emperors kings noblemen statesmen millionaires because they commanded vast armies and wielded great influence in their day then more names can be found to support and prop the church of rome than any other christian sect is protestantism willing to rest its claims upon the great man argument give me the ideas the religions not that have been advanced and believed by the so-called great of the past but that will be defended and believed by the great souls of the future it gives me pleasure to say that lord bacon was a great man 
but I do not for that reason abandon the Copernican system of astronomy and insist that the earth is stationary. Samuel Johnson was an excellent writer of Latinized English, but I am confident that he never saw a real ghost. Matthew Hale was a reasonably good judge of law, but he was mistaken about witches causing children to vomit crooked pins. John Wesley was quite a man in a kind of religious way, but in this country few people sympathize with his hatred of republican government, or with his contempt for the revolutionary fathers. Sir Isaac Newton, in the domain of science, was the colossus of his time but his commentary on the book of Revelation would hardly excite envy, even in the breast of a Spurgeon or a Talmage. Upon many questions the opinions of Napoleon were of great value, and yet about his bed, when dying, he wanted to see burning the holy candles of Rome. John Calvin has been called a logician, and reasoned well from his premises, but the burning of servitus did not make murder of virtue. Luther weakened somewhat the power of the Catholic Church, and to that extent was a reformer, and yet Lord Brougham affirmed that his table talk was so obscene that no respectable English publisher would soil paper with a translation. He was a kind of religious Rabelais, and yet a man can defend Luther in his attack upon the church without justifying his obscenity. If every man in the Catholic Church was a good man, that would not convince me that Ignatius Loyola ever met and conversed with the Virgin Mary. The fact is, very few men are right in everything. Great virtues may draw attention from defects, but they cannot sanctify them. A pebble surrounded by diamonds remains a common stone, and a diamond surrounded by pebbles is still a gem. No one should attempt to refute an argument by pronouncing the name of some man, unless he is willing to adopt all the ideas and beliefs of that man. It is better to give reasons and facts than names. An argument should not depend for its force upon the name of its author, Facts need no pedigree, logic has no heraldry, and the living should not be awed by the mistakes of the dead. The greatest men the world has produced have known but little. They had a few facts mingled with mistakes without number. In some departments they towered above their fellows, while in others they fell below the common level of mankind. Daniel Webster had great respect for the scriptures but very little for the claims of his creditors. Most men are strangely inconsistent. Two propositions were introduced into the Confederate Congress by the same man. One was to hoist the black flag, and the other was to prevent carrying the mails on Sunday. George Whitefield defended the slave trade because it brought the Negroes within the sound of the gospel and gave them the advantage of associating with the gentlemen who stole them. And yet this same Whitefield believed and taught the dogma of predestination. Volumes might be written upon the follies and imbecilities of great men. 
a full-rounded man, a man of sterling sense and natural logic, is just as rare as a great painter, poet, or sculptor. If you tell your friend that he is not a painter, that he has no genius for poetry, he will probably admit the truth of what you say, without feeling that he has been insulted in the least. But if you tell him that he is not a logician, that he has but little idea of the value of a fact, that he has no real conception of what evidence is, and that he never had an original thought in his life, he will cut your acquaintance. Thousands of men are most wonderful in mechanics, in trade, in certain professions, keen in business, knowing well the men among whom they live, and yet satisfied with religions infinitely stupid, with politics perfectly senseless, and they will believe that wonderful things were common long ago, such things as no amount of evidence could convince them had happened in their day. A man may be a successful merchant, lawyer, doctor, mechanic, statesman, or theologian without one particle of originality, and almost without the ability to think logically upon any subject whatever. Other men display in some directions the most marvelous intellectual power, astonish mankind with their grasp and vigor and at the same time upon religious subjects drool and drivel like david at the gates of gath end of section three the appeal to the cemetery